Hello, this is Scott Gordon. Hi, I'm Paul Holmgren. Hey, this is the biggest suitcase to ever play the game, Mike McKenna. This is Dale Weiss. Hey, this is Riley Cote. Hi, this is Bob Clark. You're listening to. And you're listening to. You're listening to. And you're listening. You're listening to. You're listening to. Snow the goalie. The snow the goalie. 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 Hi, my name is Ali Vigneault, coach of the Flyers. You're listening to Snow the Goalie. Good evening. It's not evening yet. Oh, five o'clock is evening. Anthony Sanfilippo and I are already going at it right before we got on here. And I, I kind of blame Bob Wankel, who typically hosts Crossed Up with Anthony in this time slot. Welcome into Snow the Goalie, the only Flyers podcast, now on the radio on 610 ESPN Philadelphia. Um, we were just arguing off air about how we want to approach the beginning of this show. And of course, for all Flyers fans out there, I think uh, there are obviously some positives to take away over the last couple of games. Of course, the Flyers won their home opener since we last spoke. Um, and then they went out on the road. They went out to Vancouver and fell in a shootout. But one of the big storylines to come out of that game was the benching of Jake Voracek and some quotes that came out today to the media. We want to get into that. I wanted to start positive because I'm more of a Posadelphia. And Mr. Sanfilippo over there, find him on Twitter at AntSanPhilly. He's Mr. Negadelphia. It's yin and yang. It's not the negative, Russ. It's that the most pressing story, the most recent story, the thing that most Flyers fans want to hear about right now if they're listening in to Snow the Goalie is the fact that Jake Voracek was benched and the coach talked about it today. And he said that there was some uncharacteristic play with the puck by Jake Voracek. I don't know how uncharacteristic it is. Maybe it's uncharacteristic since Elaine Vigneault got here, but a lot of the same... Uh, mistakes that Voracek makes, uh, and they're not like lack of effort plays. They are he actually tries to do too much, and he can't pull it back. And that's I think that's the one negative about Jake. Um, but that these these things have been happening in recent years, and Vino, to his credit, is trying to get out in front of it three games into the season and say, eh, eh, no more, we ain't having that happen. And he basically, in the third period of the game against Vancouver on uh, Saturday night, pulled Voracek off the top line, replaced him with James Van Riemsdyk, uh, and Voracek was dropped down not to the third line, but to the fourth line, where he played with uh, Michael Raffle and uh, I guess it was Connor Bunneman um, at that point. Um, and uh, only, I think he took three shifts the entire third period. I mean, he did, he did get a chance in the shootout. He did shoot in the shootout. Um, but didn't didn't play in the third period, and uh, Vino basically sent a message, and that's a good thing. That's a really good thing, and it's not necessarily just a really good thing for Jake Voracek, but it's a really good thing for the entire Flyers team because it's going to show that this coach is going to hold everyone accountable, not just a rookie who makes a mistake gets put on the end of the bench, not just you know your third line winger who screws up and he has to sit for a little bit or your third pair defenseman has to sit for a little bit. You're talking about an eight and a half million dollar player who's considered who's, uh, your alternate captain, one of the leaders of the team, uh, one of the you know longest tenured veterans in the city as far as playing for any you know playing for a team in Philadelphia. He's getting benched for a third for a period. 
in the third game of the season. That's the coach taking control. That's the difference between somebody who's a good head coach and somebody who's probably should only be no more than an assistant. Ooh. Ooh. A little fire Filippo over there. Um, let's take a look at what Jake Voracek has been. Like, let's, let's get a few things out of the way. Jake Voracek in 2016-17 was a 61-point player, yep. right? And that was around his average. Now, to that point, he had a standout season in 2014-15. That was his third season with the Flyers. He had 81 points, was nearly a point-per-game player. Excellent. That's what a lot of people like to harken back to. 17-18, he did have a rebound, 85 points in 82 games, just over a point-per-game a point per game player. You would expect that of a guy who is the sixth highest-paid right-winger in the entire National Hockey League. Yep. He only ranks behind Mitch Marner, who recently signed an RFA deal with the Toronto Maple Leafs. He's making just under $11 million. Patrick Kane, of course, who haunts the nightmares of Flyers fans. He makes $10.5 Three-time Stanley Cup champion. Yep. Deserves it. Uh, Mark Stone with the Vegas Golden Knights, $9.5 million. Uh, Nikita Kucherov, who <laughs> I don't think you can't even put Jake Voracek in that same conversation, $9.5 million. And then Mika Rantanen, who was also signed yep. RFA this uh, this summer for nine and a quarter million. Jake Voracek makes eight and a quarter million dollars. He is the second highest paid player on the team behind only Captain Claude Giroux. And he's also signed with this team for the next four seasons, five seasons. There is a great concern, I think, among Flyers fans about, um, you know, last show we talked about Ivan Provorov being a guy who, who had a, a dip last season. You look at Jake Voracek's point production uh, a season ago. He was down from 85 points down to 66 points. He was a minus 16. And quite frankly, like for the money that he makes, that doesn't get it done in this league. You look at what he's performed or how he's performed this season so far through three games. He's not gotten on the score sheet once. He's a minus one, not that that's the be-all end-all of stats. But he's yet to factor into any kind of a real scoring opportunity for this team after having been elevated to the top line to play with Kevin Hayes, who, by the way, has played, I would say, some of the best hockey of his career and certainly better than I think we expected, and Claude Giroux, who makes everyone better that he plays with on the ice. Jake Voracek hasn't gotten it done in the last year plus, and now the question, I think, becomes, will this move by AV light a fire under him, or are we going to see the same Jake Voracek? Does it matter if AV puts him on notice as a vet on this team? I think it makes a difference. I, I, I think that Voracek is the kind of guy who will respond well to this. Um, and I, I think that uh, I think he'll do really, really well. Um, I, I think you're going to see a, a, a good Jake Voracek in Calgary. I really do. I, I think that, uh, you know, I don't know if the lines are going to change. I think he'll be back where he was. You know, for, because for the most part, Russ, um, it, the Flyers in the, in the three games have played really well. Uh, I thought that they struggled a little bit against Vancouver in the first period of that game uh, Saturday night. They were better in the second. They were great in the third. Um, uh, you know, overtime was was fine. Um, a very helter skelter overtime. That was a. It was fine. That was that was an absolutely that's kind of that was a that was a, that was a fist clenching kind of. I, I know that's I'm three just on saying. three hockey, right? So, um, but at the same time, you know, the, the lines have rolled pretty well. I mean, the Couturier line has been sensational. I mean, it's been unbelievably good. You know that they're, you know, we, we, you know, we talk about advanced stats, right? They're Corsi through three games at five on five. All three of those guys, Couturier, Lindblom, Konechny, are at 70%. It's 
insane. It's it's unbelievable. I mean, it's a, it's exceptional. That's top line. Well, that, of, what? that's beyond. I mean, I mean, obviously, it's going to regress back a little bit. Sure. You, you, you know, most players, the best players in the game, are usually around you know fifty seven, fifty eight. You know, maybe you hit sixty, but yep. so so to be at seventy percent is fat is fabulous. So they're they're like flying, and then even the third line with Lawton, Van Riemsdyk, and um, Carson Twarinski. Uh, while Lawton and Torinsky are slightly below 50%, Van Riebeseck's been at 57. He's been, he's been really good. You know, so where are you putting? You, you're not going to touch those two lines. Those two lines have been really good for you. And the fourth line, when it gets out there, I mean, Michael Roffel had a goal in, in, in the Chicago game. Um, you know, Pitlick played, I thought, a really good game against, against Vancouver. I thought that was his best game in the three games with the Flyers. Um, and Bunneman's, you know, and, I think, and, a, and I think nice Bunneman's looked a little bit overmatched at, at points. At times, but it, but he's it, not also not supposed, your fourth line center is also not supposed to be a game breaking player. You right. need him to be competent. He's, he is competent. He's competent. Yeah. Uh, um, so what are you doing? Like, I mean, you're not going to, you're not going to switch guys from the first to the fourth line. Jake Vorchek's not going to live on the fourth line. So where are you putting him? So he's going to play with Drew and uh, and Kevin Hayes, and I think that that's what's going to happen um, when they get out to Calgary tomorrow. Uh, and and I think you know unless things start going sideways for that line or or backwards, that's probably going to be where he's at in the lineup. So um, I, I think he responds. I think he he looks at this and says, "All right, I'm being made an example of. I'm a leader on this team. I need to I need to step up if I'm gonna if I'm gonna wear that letter." And it's the first time in his career that he's been. To start a season. To start a season. Well, I mean, he's worn it just kind of as a, as a fill-in when a guy's sure. been hurt in last the past, year, right? Last Whatever. Year after right. Well, Simmons after trade. the Simmons trade, right? Um, but this is the first time that he's actually been, you know, named a a uh, an alternate captain. He's got to, you know, he's going to own. He's got to take ownership of that, and I think he, I think he will. I think he's the kind of guy that will do that. We so. want to hear from you if uh, if you're out there listening. You want to talk about the Flyers? Give us a call 888-728-9941. Again, that's 888-728. Nine nine four one. Let's talk about something that we had previously discussed on a show over on our podcast feed. Of course, you can find Snow the Goalie on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Stitcher, Google Podcasts, everywhere that you want. We should let everyone know. I mean, because we tweeted it out earlier. Um, James Van Riemsdyk is. Uh, we're supposed to have him call in for for the show. He's actually going to be part of our programming today in some capacity. Um, their flight. Uh, from Vancouver to Calgary had ended up leaving at a different time than we had originally anticipated. So he was not able to call in right here at the top of the show, which is what we were planned. Um, so he's either going to call in during the second hour when we have crossing broadcast, uh, the debut of crossing broadcast here on 610 ESPN. Um, and we'll have him there or we'll get him after that's just after that's over and then we'll plug it in either way we're going to plug it into the podcast version of snow the goalie so make sure you go over there right because we've got two i guess we really have two little bundles of we have another interview that's going to be part of the podcast podcast only it would be the interview we did with riley cote at the home opener um former flyer former flyers uh or phantoms assistant coach he coached a lot of these guys who are now playing for the team. So he was there down at the uh, at the home opener. We talked a lot about the players, talked a lot about a lot of different things, and including his new business venture, which uh, we'll dive into that as well. But the point is, is that um, so JVR will be part of the podcast. It may not be in this first hour, maybe in the second hour. Depends on when their plane lands in Calgary. In all honesty, um, and then uh, and but he will definitely be on the podcast version of this show. So if you're not subscribed to it. 
make sure that you go over find Snow the Goalie, a Flyers podcast. It's on all those places that I mentioned. And uh, the Cote interview, I think it was 27 minutes, so that was going to be too long for us to play here. You will hear a snippet of it a little bit later in the show, but make sure you go subscribe to the show. Anyway, let's let's get back, back to what you so, wanted to say, so Russ. <laughs> you and I had mentioned, um, I think it was the week before we started this show, we talked about who was going to be the guy that might be the, not the bane of, of AV's existence, but he might be somebody that becomes a, a bit of, of a target of the ire of the coach. And I think at the time we had mentioned that JVR was a guy who potentially could have been somebody that might have been someone that AV might make an example out of in terms of hustle, in terms of doing the right things in practice. Um, yeah, that was your suggestion. We talked about Shane Gostaspair a lot last year as somebody yeah. who could have found himself in that kind of spot. And now you kind of have to wonder if Jake Voracek is in that doghouse. So let's get something out of the way. Of those three guys, James Van Riemsdyk, Shane Gostaspair, and Jake Voracek, which one of those three, if you had to put a decent chance, is traded this season? I want to put you on the spot. Gostas Bear. Percentage chance. It's low at this point um, because they got off to a good start. I, 15. Wow. Now, if they were to make a trade. And, only, and the only reason I say that, the only reason I say that is because it's tough to move the lengths of the contracts of Voracek and, and Van Riemsdyk Couple that with the fact that they have more defensive depth. Like, so you have Sam Morin, who's there as the number seven defenseman, and then you have Phil Myers down who's tearing up the AHL, yeah, down as you in would the AHL. And hope. So, I mean, it, like there are there are reasons why I selected. It wasn't that I'm you know trying to push Gossespierre out of town. I'm just saying that that it makes more sense to me than it would. To move with the other two guys. So let's look at the, the contracts of the two wingers. Let's get, a, you know, we'll move away. You made a good point, especially about Phil Myers. Let's look at the wings and about the cap hits and the length of contract and why it might be hard for them to get out from under one of these contracts. So Jake Voracek is signed for the next four seasons, not including this one. He's signed through 2023-24 at a cap hit of eight and a quarter million per year. James Van Riemsdyk, who signed a season ago, he signed that five-year, $35 million deal. He's got three years past the season at $7 million uh, per year. You look at that, and it, it certainly feels like if the Flyers were to decide that it was time to cut, to cut bait with either of those players, it's probably going to cost you a draft asset in order to, to get a team to take on that hit or to trade one of those guys to a team that is closer to the salary floor and is just looking for someone to legitimize their franchise. Does like an Ottawa come to mind for you in, in either case? No, no, it just doesn't. I, it doesn't make any sense. Like, like if you're Ottawa, like why are you trading for a big money contract? That's going to be here, be with you for the next five years. If you, if, especially if you don't feel like the guy is a franchise altering type player, you know, I would think that if if and, and again this is so speculative but if you're really going to look for a team that would make that kind of move you would have to find a team that is that has a lot of cap space that is playing maybe surprisingly well and that in addition like one of those guys would 
you know, kind of guarantee them to make the playoffs, you know, have a shot at making a run, you know. I mean, that's what you would have to look at more than a – I wouldn't look at a bottom feeder type team just because there's no just there's no justification for trading for that kind of salary because they're still so far away. So here's why I'm going to throw that out there as a, as a possibility. Go ahead. They've already made international news, both the U.S. and Canada, so it's automatically international news, right? They've already – made the news for how bad their attendance has been so far this season. They had just over 15,000 people at their home opener. That dropped to 9,000 people in paid attendance on Wednesday, Wednesday night, against the St. Louis Blues, the defending Stanley Cup champion. And then that rebounded, if you want to call it that, to 11,000 people on Saturday afternoon against Tampa Bay, the number one seed in the Eastern Conference from just a season ago. I'm not saying that it's necessarily something that Ottawa should look for. I'm not necessarily saying that they're the perfect trade partner. But you would think that at some point they're going to have to go out and make some kind of acquisition because otherwise, if they're going to be in the low the low single-digit thousands or they're going to be somewhere in like maybe around 10,000 per game, it's not going to look good for the league. And it certainly has it, looked like Tampa and that's, has been a, a tanking team. That's fine. Is trading for Jake Voracek or James Van Riemsdyk going to suddenly turn 9,000 into 19,000? No. Maybe not that drastically. Maybe no, it gets you. It doesn't get you anything. It really doesn't get you anything. Because well, how much better does it make you? If you want to find a team, like, I think there's not many of these teams, because no, nobody's really that far under the cap, right? I mean, the best team that has the most cap space is Colorado. Okay. All right. They have 6.3 million under the cap at this point. So maybe you could justify working something with the Avalanche because that would be a team. It's in an, it's in the other conference. They're pretty good. You know, they have plans in a wide open west of really making a run. Like there's a lot of people who think Colorado could be a darling, uh, you know, Cinderella kind of team that can make that big run to the final this year. Like I, the West is so wide open with Colorado and Vegas and Dallas and San Jose. Um, Nashville, there's so many like teams that could win that conference that you look at a team like Colorado with the cap space and say there's a team that can take on a big money contract. Maybe that would be a team that would do it. But I don't, I don't, I just don't see it, Russ. I don't, I don't see this happening in any way. More so because I, I think the Flyers might actually, you know, might actually be a team that at the trade deadline is not looking to sell. That doesn't mean that they're looking to buy. Because they might be kind of still in that tweener mode there, but I don't think that they're going to be looking to sell off anything. And what's their biggest problem if they want to buy? They don't have space. They have no space. So they're going to have to part with some sort of salary in any kind of deal for a difference maker, unless we're going to talk about making that, another fringe move. That's why, is, that's why I don't think that they're, that's why I just said I don't think that they're going to do anything this year. I, I can't see it. Like, I, like I, don't, I don't see them blowing up a big salary in order to bring in another player that is i mean how much you know how much how much are you improving if you're trading for somebody at the deadline like how much are you really improving i mean so you, you what you do is you wait and see because i mean i guess it's possible you know somebody could get hurt and you could put them on long term injury and then you can go exceed the salary cap for whatever by you know x amount of dollars and at that point you might be able to you know make a trade for somebody but i i don't see it happening like, i i think that this team is pretty much what you see is what you're going to have for most of this year, like I, I don't think there's going to be much in the way of change unless it comes from within. I think the Flyers are what they are, um, for better or worse. I think that you know 
you, their their hope is that the coach. I mean, we're really finding this now, right? I mean, you're really seeing this now that the way that this team was structured, and it, it's not a lot different from last year. But their their hope is they're they're tying they're hitching their wagons to the fact that the coach can this coaching staff can figure out how to make this team as is successful. That's what they're hitching their th- yeah. So anyway. Um, yeah, but I mean that's that's kind of where it's at. But you know, we should talk about a, a bunch of other stuff too, Russ, because they did play well uh, in the home opener. Shut out the Devils for nothing. Um, Carter Hart was sensational in that game, um, and then even in the Vancouver game, there were some players who had uh, really nice games. You know, who's been, had a great start? Who's that? Matt Niskanen. He sure has. Has been a really nice player defensively for for the Flyers. Three games in, um, and I kind of told you in the summer, like that was the one that made a little bit more sense to me. Um, even though they retained some of Gudis' salary, I thought that was the one that made a little bit more sense. Um, but he's played well, so we could talk a little bit about him. Um, and uh, later on in the show, we're going to have Amy Johnson uh, from the AHL Report. Uh, she covers the Phantoms up in Lehigh Valley, and she's going to come on and talk a little bit about the, the prospects who. Uh, played well in their first weekend of the season, including Joel Farabee, two goals uh, in his first two games. Uh, Isaac Ratcliffe is a uh, goal and assist. Jer- Hermann Rupsov's got three points. Uh, Phil Myers. Unfortunately, Morgan Frost is not among them. Morgan Frost did not play well in his start of his AHL career, but she'll come on and talk a little bit about that. If you want to check in with us, 888-728-9941 is the number. I should say that slower because Russ thinks I say it too fast. 888 728 9941. Oh, yeah. Yeah. Snow the Goalie Radio <laughs> on 610 ESPN. We have a very special guest joining us here on Crossing Broadcast right now. Uh, was going to join us on Snow the Goalie uh, part of the show earlier, but the, the uh-huh. flight went out to uh, to Calgary. They just landed in Calgary. James Van Riemsdyk from the Philadelphia Flyers joining us here on the program. JVR, thanks for uh, taking the time. Appreciate you copping on the phone with us as soon as you get off the plane. Yeah, no worries. Thanks for having me. Yeah, no problem. Hey, listen, I, I wanted to ask you first off. You, you know, you guys have gotten off to a, a really good start as a team. You know, two zero and one uh, after what appeared to be like a less than inspiring training camp from the outside. Anyway, um, was there a different feeling in the locker room that there was a chance for this thing to start off on a real positive note? Though, did you guys kind of have a feeling, even though you weren't playing the greatest preseason games, that once once the games mattered, that this team was going to be going in the right direction? Yeah, you know what, again, it's always interesting in the preseason. I think uh, uh, sometimes there's too, ma- too many things to look into from the outside perspective. I think as a team, we were just trying to get on the right page, um, on the same page, I should say, uh, as each other. Obviously, we've got a lot of new guys, new coaching staff, uh, that sort of stuff. So we're trying to implement a bunch of different things. And, um, again, I think we were making good strides and continue to progress our game. And then, obviously, again, uh, you want to do whatever you can to to get uh, get yourself ready for game one of the regular season and get off on a good foot. So I thought we were doing those things. And, obviously, again, uh, we're still doing some things as far as trying to build that chemistry on the ice and that sort of stuff. And hopefully we uh, continue to keep getting better and better with that. When we had AV on the show before camp began, um, he said he didn't want to know anything about last season. Everyone had a clean slate. Uh, not that you personally had a bad season last year, but was that still good to kind of know that when you were coming in this year, you were going to have a fresh start with someone new? Um, yeah, you know, that's a, that's a good question. I think, uh, 
again, certainly there's things for everyone to learn from every season, good and bad. So uh, as players, you, again, you, you usually you have a chance to reflect after every season um, the things that you liked about your game, things you want to improve upon, and that sort of thing. And then certainly, again, obviously uh, having a new coach come in and, and that sort of stuff, I'm sure uh, – Again, he wanted to just implement things uh, the way that he wanted to. Obviously, the reason we had a new coach is because we underachieved as a team. So certainly, again, um, everyone, I think, had a, had a better level to play to as a, individually as players. So uh, I guess, again, when you look at it that way, I guess that's a good thing that he came in like that with that mindset and uh, kind of just let everyone – wanted to just – have open open eyes and watch everyone and kind of go from there. Yeah, you're, you're being asked to play a slightly different role uh, than you have in the in the last couple of seasons. Um, and although although your name hasn't shown up in the box score yet, I mean, if you look deeper, look at the way you've been playing, uh, it shows that you've been one of the better play drivers on the team so far through three games. Um, you're really getting some good chances. The power play. I mean, it's it's only a matter of time, I think, before uh, before one gets in for you. Um, how, how do you like that new role? And then I have a follow-up question to that, like it, it, to ask about: is it, is it easy to stick with it and, and continue to play what really is a successful style, even if the points aren't coming right away? Yeah, you know that's a that's a good question. I think again, obviously as a player, uh, the more versatile you can be, um, I think the more valuable you are to a to a team. And obviously, again, I played a probably pretty particular role for most of the last few years. But that being said. Uh, Again, it's always interesting how different players get typecast into different uh, generalizations. I, I think we're going over to play at the World Championships. I got a chance to play in some different roles over there as well uh, at the end of last season and played some defensive roles and played some and on the matchup line over there. So I think, again, I was able to show some different things. And, again, it's been a while since I've played in different situations like that. So so that being said, for uh, for this season, for our team, obviously, again, the coach is looking at some different different uh, combinations and options. And, again, as a player, you're just, you're just worried about there and going out there and putting your best foot forward no matter what those uh, those things are. And you, you kind of uh, go from there. And, like you said, obviously the power play, I think uh, we've been moving it around pretty good, getting a lot of great looks, but uh, hasn't seemed to be falling um, as much as we'd like uh, so far, but uh, I think again, there's definitely some uh, things to be happy with in that sense. And as a line, I think again, uh, the first couple games uh, we did, did a lot of good things. We want again, first and foremost, we wanted to just be uh, plus and uh, not give up anything. And obviously, I think we've created some chances as well. But certainly, we played some pretty. Uh, solid uh, two-way hockey to, to start the year. Yeah, and you mentioned the power play. You guys haven't gotten one in yet, but you know the fact that the second unit has, I think, three goals in three games, um, that kind of that has to take a little bit of pressure off you guys, right? And that the second group is able to come out and, and put the puck in the net? Yeah, you know what? It's, it's interesting. I think it's a good to have that healthy kind of competition. I know in, uh, in Toronto, the last couple of years I was there, we kind of basically had a 1A and 1B type unit set up where... Uh, depending on who was hot, that was who was going to get the start of the power play and that sort of stuff. So I think it's healthy to have that. And we had two get really good really good seasons of power play stuff when we did it like that. So, again, obviously uh, this year it's nice that we have that production uh, coming um, coming early on. I think, again, even our unit, we've gotten a couple kind of weirder sort of goals. But uh, as far as like off the face-off play, but not really as much off the sets that we're looking for yet. But uh, I think, again, we're moving it around well. We're getting a lot of good looks. And uh, again, a law of averages over over time, uh, they'll start going in for us. Fans usually only get to see what they get to see when the cameras are on. I think some have felt like they've gotten to see a little bit more because of the behind the glass special that's been going on on the NHL Network. 
Um, when when you sit back as a player who had a stint here, came back last season uh, in what was a very tumultuous year, change of coach, change of GM, and then you look at the way that this team has played to this point, if you were to take people behind the scenes, something that they don't see you know, on the camera, uh, is there something that has managed to, to bring this team closer together? Does it feel like this is a more cohesive team at this point? And could maybe a little bit of that be attributed to starting the season in Europe? Yeah, you know, that's a good question. I think just looking back to last season, I think a lot of us kind of, again, we are, we didn't meet expectations, obviously didn't make the playoffs, and that was our goal as a team to do that and kind of go from there. So you get kind of that bad taste in your mouth like going into the summer, and I think you're on your toes even that much more coming into uh, into a season. And uh, obviously, again, we have some new faces, new coaching staff, and um, getting that chance to go over to Europe, obviously away from our regular routine, kind of like that long road trip. Uh, you get a ton of time to to spend with uh, with your teammates and get to know people a little bit better and bond and, and that sort of stuff. So I think, yes, like you said, that was super valuable for us to, to help get on the same page on the ice and also you get get a chance to know the, some of the guys that you may not know as well um, off the ice. So I think that that was really valuable for us and uh, really valuable for that chemistry of our group. Yeah, Russ mentioned behind the glass, JBR, and, and, and you know we got we all got a kick out of the fact that you said a lot of guys don't dress well and need to step up their game. Now, I don't want to ask you to dime anyone out who's a bad dresser. I know you don't want to do that. But you're more than welcome to. <laughs> but, is there someone, but is there someone else besides yourself who is a pretty snazzy dresser on the road? Yeah, you know what? I'll, uh, Nolan Patrick, I think, usually is my answer for that. He's got some great suits, uh, some good style overall, so I'll give him uh, the cake on that. That's good. Does anyone take it too far? <laughs> with what they're, what they're uh, with fashion forward? Yeah, yeah. Um, you know what? I haven't seen that actually too much. I think for the most part, guys are pretty conservative with that stuff. But uh, um, you'll see some guys bust out some some cool suits every once in a while. But I haven't seen anything that's uh, too crazy yet. Does someone in your position as a vet? Do, do the young guys ever come to you asking for advice on on the best way to to put themselves out there uh, in terms of being on camera? They know that there's going to be cameras that are going to catch them in their fashion, like. Do any of the young guys ever come up to you and, and ask for advice, or is this just a situation where they might, like, run out to Marshalls and get, like, a, a $30? <laughs> you, you know what? It's kind of interesting, I think, in the sense of, uh, again, nowadays, like, how much technology plays a role in the world and that these guys coming in the league are basically growing up with, with that right at their fingertips, whether it's uh, Twitter, Instagram, Snapchat, uh, that sort of stuff. So they're aware of all that sort of stuff. So I feel like they're definitely uh, – you kind of there's so much more information right there, so it seems like uh, again they have a they have a decent grasp on things uh, coming into coming into the league and that sort of stuff than uh, than what it was when I came in. The last thing I, I want to ask you, but I know you want to get into the hotel. It's been a, a you know, long trip already for you guys. The travel's been crazy, right? To start the season, how do you handle it? Are you someone who sleeps on the plane? You do something else? You play cards, read, binge watch TV shows? Like what do you, what do you do to kind of get through all those hours just sitting on planes? Yeah, you know, certainly it's been a, an interesting uh, start to the season as far as the travel that was starting in Europe and then heading all the way out to uh, Vancouver and getting that huge time change right when we get back. But uh, yeah, for me, I think again you got to try to take advantage of the rest and. 
and uh, making sure you're really staying on top of your sleep and your recovery and that sort of stuff. But as far as on the planes and stuff, yeah, I'm pretty big into binge-watching uh, shows and uh, watching different movies and stuff like that. So um, I watched, uh, on this trip, I watched the Dave Chappelle stand-up and the oh, Bill Burr stand-up. It was so good, uh, wasn't so it, man? I got, I got, yeah, those, those guys are pretty classic. So, uh, <laughs> yeah, I got to watch, watch a couple of those and all a few other TV shows uh, that QB won. Oh, oh yeah. Watch, watch, watching that one as well about the, the top uh, high school yeah. quarterback recruits. Uh, so, yeah, into some of those reality-type ones like that in the sports uh, as well. That's awesome. That's we, awesome. We always have a debate here about what the best hockey movie is. Oh, here we if go. You, uh, if you had the opportunity to pick one hockey movie to have, the only one that you can have the rest of your life to watch, which hockey uh, movie do you pick? Uh, you know what? Um, I guess... Being an American and playing internationally, I'm just gonna have to go with Miracle for that one. Oh, I think, uh, okay, it's a good a great, one. Okay. Uh, great one. Yeah, uh, great, great story. Obviously, and I thought they did a really good job uh, portraying that. So I'll go with that one. But yeah, there's obviously some some other good options for that. But I think I'm gonna go with Miracle. For Let me one. give you a, a toss up: Slapshot or Goon? Uh, ooh, um, I think I mean Slapshot's just a classic, so I don't think you can pick against that one in many circumstances. So I, I, I tend to like more of those ones, like the the classics, like that one, Youngblood, uh, Mystery Alaska. Those uh, those are all really good. Th- thanks, JB. I appreciate that because you know Russ is Russ is the young guy and he sticks with Goon, and I keep telling him that yeah. Slapshot is the way you got to go. And everybody that comes on the show kind of agrees with me, so uh, I appreciate you yeah. siding with me on that. Hey, listen, thanks. He just ag- inflated his ego <laughs> even more, JB. <laughs> th- thanks. Ag- <laughs> Thanks again for taking the time. I know, as uh, like I said, you guys just got off the plane in Calgary. Get some rest tonight and uh, and into tomorrow, and uh, have a great game in Calgary. And we'll see you guys when you get back uh, on Saturday. All righty, sounds good. Thanks for having me. All right, me take here. care. And we're back on Snow the Goalie here on six ten ESPN Radio. Hey, just so you know, FanDuel Sportsbook, a uh, new sponsor here for Snow the Goalie, they are offering a five hundred dollar risk free bet. For new users, Ross, did you know that? I did. You knew you I knew did, that. I actually did know that. Yes, indeed, You're I supposed did. Supposed to say you didn't know it, well, but okay. You, know, you read over at CrossingBroad.com, you see this kind of stuff all the time. <laughs> so yes, I I was aware. It's a fantastic offer. It is. It's a great offer, and you know they have a lot of different promos always going on. Um, you can find uh, odd boosts, bet insurance, special bonuses. There's all kinds of stuff on there. Uh, so make sure you head over to uh, FanDuel Sportsbook, and and you could place a five hundred dollar risk free bet on hockey. Uh, or, you know, or any sport, but you know we're on Snow the Goalie, so we're talking hockey. And if you use our promo co- code, which is STG, like Snow the Goalie, STG, uh, you can get place that bet. And signing up is a re- it's really easy. It's easy to add money to your account, withdraw your winnings whenever you want. And Russ, I have a I have a bet for people if they want to go sign up. That's a great idea. You think it's a good idea? I think it's not just a good idea. It might be the best idea you've had all day. Yeah, okay. You've been spewing hot takes off the air, so I think this is at least a good one. <laughs> so wait, so, so here's the thing. So tomorrow night. And I'm not going to give you the flyers because you know I, I never like betting the home team, right? But tomorrow, you don't bet, you don't bet on your own team. You, you, just they, he's not Pete Rose. Okay, go ahead. you don't want to you don't want to get involved emotionally in the game that yes. you're betting on, right? So you, it's just enjoy the Flyers game against Calgary. But tomorrow night, if you're looking to make a place a bet, Arizona's in Winnipeg. Winnipeg just got bl- their doors blown off at home by the Penguins. They lost seven to two in that game, right? And now they got Arizona coming in. And Arizona is wounded big time. Uh, Nicholas Jarmelson, one of their best defensemen, fractured uh, shin. Uh, is going to be out for a lengthy period of time. I don't know how they're going to replace him quick. So you got you got a team at home who just got their doors blown off, and they're pretty miserable about it. 
and they get a wounded team coming in, I think that, that this plays really well to favor the Jets. So look at Winnipeg uh, for that game. So um, And, Russ, you know, how can people do this? How can people get their FanDuel app now? Why don't you tell well, them? Well, they do? should go over to FanDuel.com slash sportsbook. That's if you're in New Jersey or if you're in Pennsylvania. Again, it's FanDuel.com slash sportsbook. And use our promo code STG, as in Snow the Goalie, the only Flyers podcast. STG is the promo code. First online wager only refund issued as site credit. Site credit expires after 14 days. Go to sportsbook.fanduel.com for full terms. Must be 21 or older and, pre- and pre- uh, present in New Jersey or Pennsylvania. Gambling problem call 1-800-GAMBLER. Fantastic. You know, the only other thing I would, I would ask people to do or I would encourage them to look at is the NFL close loss insurance. If you don't want to place a bet on hockey, they've got a nice feature where uh, you can get up to a $50 refund on money line bets if your team loses by six points or less. So that's always nice. Anytime you can go and place a bet and potentially get your money back if things don't go that well, it's always great. So big thank you to our friends over at FanDuel Sportsbook. Yeah, that's good stuff. Good stuff. Um, Let's get back into your team, your town, the orange and black, the Philadelphia Flyers. Anthony Sanfilippo, we had a chat at the opening game when we were checking out some of the new uh, suites that they've got, some of the new lounges they've got in Wells Fargo Center. The place looks entirely different. And there was something that I, I wanted to talk about with the ambiance because this is something that you and I go back and forth about. How important is it to have a nice arena to play in? How important is it for the fan, for your average person, the layman, the common man, the blue-collar Philadelphia sports fan? When they go into Wells Fargo Center now, the place is fully decked out, featuring a 4K scoreboard the likes of which I've never seen. It's absolutely gorgeous. And you said. It's ostentatious. It's it's too big. The scoreboard's too big, man. Look, if you're sitting in behind the goal, right, and you're in the upper level, and you're sitting behind the goal, you can't see the action going on behind the net on the opposite side of the night of the ice. Now, in fairness, how many people are going to be up? At, it doesn't at, matter. It sure does. It does not matter. The rock. It doesn't no, matter. It doesn't matter. It does matter. No, it, they're paying money to go see the damn game. Does it, does their ticket say limited view? I don't know. I didn't know it does the $25 not. No, it does tickets. not. I will find out. No, it does we'll not. We'll put this out to the people. It does not say limited view. Okay. Okay, it does not say that. And if that's the case, why wasn't this taken into consideration before they built the darn thing? All right? You have to stand up there and look and say, okay, where are our sight lines? All right, whenever you do it, look, I, I'm a theater guy, right? I direct show, I, you know, I, you know this, I direct shows, I do, yeah. okay? And so when we do, when we put together our scene design, our set design, the first thing we do before we even lay out the first platform on the stage is we consider the sight lines from every seat in the audience you have to make sure that every seat can see what you're going to build and so you sit there and with the with the set designer who's usually somebody who has some kind of architectural background you you line it up and you look at the sight lines and you draw it out on the on the map so all the people had to do at the wells fargo center was look at the sight lines from every seat in the building and make sure that the ice can be seen, that the entire ice could be seen after they put that scoreboard in. They did not do that. They screwed it up. Okay? They screwed it up. Just like they're screwing up a lot of other things down there at the Wells Fargo Center these days. They screwed that up. Okay? Then, not only that, Russ, while we were sitting there eating our Chickies and Pete's cheesesteak, okay, 
prior to the home opener. And we're sitting there. And the, on, that, on the side screen, they were running you know, video and ads and commercials and stuff that you couldn't see the whole thing because they're showing you what was what should be seen on the broad side of it that most people see like the the, the you know the main screen that goes blue line Six, to blue line the widescreen 16 the, to 9 right okay ratio instead okay. of the 4-3 ratio whatever the hell it is get. right okay so it th- matters okay so there but that's what they're showing on the side of it so again if you're sitting behind the goal anywhere lower level upper level don't make a difference you're looking at a screen and you can't see everything that's on the screen. You just can't. So it's almost as if they they brought this thing in because if they're making the biggest scoreboard in America and this is in the world or wherever. And, oh, this is the greatest thing ever. And then they put it out there and they completely forgot that about 30% of their crowd is not going to be able to see <laughs> the scoreboard. And 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 they're not gonna, and part of them part of that 30% can't see the whole ice. It's just a, it's just not well done, not well thought out of, thought out by them. And for what it's worth, like it, it's just a, it's just a big screen. Like we we live in a world now where everything's big screens, man. Like I'm not impressed. I'm not the impressed by it. Society. I'm not I'm not impressed by it. Okay, so let me let me correct one thing that you said. Go ahead. I know you don't like to be told you're wrong. So when we were sitting there, you are right. The aspect ratio was wrong. So one of the commercials got screwed up. Later in the game, and I think it's just because it was really the first run that they've had with a regular season game trying to feature probably the in arena host. Uh, they did change that later where the, the top half of that, that short side uh, got the 16 to 9 aspect ratio. So, so that did get rectified. And then they had the, um, the stats that they typically show on the bottom part of the longer side of the board down below. So at that point, people were able to see the ads and the game action on really what was almost the size of the original board, right? Because the old scoreboard screen was, was tiny. This is the only thing that I'll say. You know, last year they replaced the audio system, and it was a massive upgrade. The place absolutely booms now. I mean, it's the difference between having a, a rinky-dink uh, third-party sound bar versus going out and splurging the money on, like, a $1,500 sound system. I, I think the, the main thing is I think the team is better overall. The coach is certainly better. And now the the ambiance and the atmosphere around the game is now enhanced in some way by having a, a better visual and audio experience for the fan. The one thing that I think we do have to talk about very briefly is the way that they introduced the players at opening night <laughs> was maybe the most <laughs> awkward and the strangest way we've ever seen. It wasn't like they had all the defensemen skate out together. It wasn't like they had the forwards and the, and the goalies come out together. They had the entire team line up around the center circle and really just show us the top of the players' heads. Have you ever seen anything well, in your 70 years covering sports? <laughs> have you ever seen anything that odd? No. It was, it was, so I thought it was kind of a silly concept to have them all standing in a circle to begin with, right? But it, oh, it really looked bad. It really became awkward when the camera that was in the middle of the circle standing at the center ice dot that was going to show all the players going around as they were introduced. The, I guess the, the the feed to that camera went bad. So they were the the in-house people, poor Anthony Joya, um, was left with as options 
was an overhead camera from the bottom of the scoreboard, which showed the top of every player's head. If you're wondering <laughs> which flyers are going bald, yeah. uh, that, was, that was pretty clear. And then the other guy, there was a second cameraman who was kind of like behind the players, like on the outskirts, and he was slowly trying to make his way around, but he had to like zoom through shoulders to kind of get a try and get a shot. And so like you occasionally would get a shot of a guy when they said his name, and then other times you were getting a shot of somebody completely different. There was a moment where they showed Carter Hart, right, who obviously gets the biggest pop of the night. Yeah. And they panned away from him, and the camera shot straight up into like the third level. Yes, it did. So it, it was it was pretty uh, it was a pretty rough night for those guys. I mean, you can't. I mean, no, it was a it was obviously a technical difficulty. It wasn't planned to be that way. Um, but but that's what you get. When you have a stationary introduction, I mean, where were the, the players weren't going anywhere, right? Nope. As opposed to having them skate on the ice one at a time, even if a camera goes out, you could still get them coming on from another angle. But when they're all standing there in a circle, I mean, I, yeah, <laughs> if we were on the podcast, I would tell you what that looked like. Okay, but I can't. Oh, I can't. can't too, say, too spicy for radio. Too spicy for radio. You see, Ryan Lennox's head He's just popped up over there. Yeah, it's like he's like, what? What was that? What are you going to say? Uh, so anyway, you know, you mentioned a little bit ago that it was a rough night for those camera folks. Somebody that we talked about having a rough night in the opener was Ivan Provorov, and I think it's pretty safe to say that he hasn't had the greatest start to the season. No, he hasn't. He, did, he had a rough opening opening night i thought he was okay for the home opener but he was fine um kind of uh couldn't you know mishandled i guess it was a tough puck but it was it was bouncing on him um uh, but kind of couldn't miss you know mishandled a play behind the net against vancouver that led to a goal uh wasn't really great in that game either um but you know it, it, he's been like the only defenseman who's really I want to say struck struggled so far struggle. I don't even know if that's fair to say, but um, he's, he, he's not been great. Um, I, I think Sanheim could be a little bit better. Travis Sanheim could be a little bit better by the way, Russ, I got yes. I wanted to bring this up. You know, we talked about this um, after the press conference at the home opener, you know, the Flyers win for nothing and Elaine Vigneault comes on, you know, goes to do his coach's press conference. And the first thing, it, not the first thing, but one of the first things that he talks about is, um. Yeah, in the first period, things were going okay, and then all of a sudden we had a line that got caught out there. You know, they stayed on the ice too long and threw everything off, and can't have that happen. And you think, think, well, why does a coach say that? You know, you just won the game for nothing, and you're you're going to identify like this one little thing that happened that didn't really result in anything negative. But he's trying to prevent this from becoming a habit. Okay, this is a bad habit that this team has had in the past. That guys stay on the ice when they should go off. He wants them thirty-five second shifts and get off the ice. Turns out that was the JVR line with uh, Lawton and Torinsky. Even worse was Travis Sanheim on that play uh, in that series. Stayed on the ice for a minute and a half. He stayed on the ice a full. It's like he like almost triple shifted himself um, for that. for for that set and so i think that that's probably the guy that he probably was most mad at more so than the than the line itself uh so sandheim could be better but i think the guys you know I'm, i've been impressed really impressed with niskanen i think niskanen um has done a really nice job uh all the way around he's playing on that second power the second power play scored again three goals by that second power play unit now in three games they had seven last year russ they have three and three games. So that tells you a lot about that. And, and here I was complaining that Provorov and Niskanen 
were on that the the points on that second power play. I wanted to see Sanheim on that, but you can't touch it now. No. I mean, it's going so well, and Niskanen's really been a big ingredient for that. I mean, obviously Konechny too, but 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 he, you know Niskanen gets the primary assist on the Provorov goal uh, against uh, the Devils. Um, really been active. He's been good defensively. He broke up a play uh, the other night uh, uh, with uh, you know flopping. I know everybody hates it. I get into fights with fans all the time on Twitter about defensemen who drop down to their stomach to try and block a pass and whatever. He did it twice in the same game um, and poked pucks away from from guys. So really playing well. Justin Braun's done a nice job too. Not not you know hugely uh, great. Work, but I mean, he's been he's been solid. He's been really solid. Gosses Bear's been okay, um, but you know, defensively they've been they've been fine. I I haven't looked at it and said, you know, oh here comes another defensive turnover that's going to lead to a goal. They just those are fewer and far between. So that's uh, that's definitely an improvement. So like, you got you got to be happy with I that. I think the only question that people might have had in that, in that last game was uh, Robert Haig's existence in overtime. His presence, I thought, had some people. Not beside themselves, but I think surprised. So, so here's the thing. I, I don't mind that. I don't mind. I know that in overtime you're looking three on three. You want skill guys out there, speed, whatever, blah, blah, blah. I get it. But I don't mind if your defenseman is a stay-at-home kind of guy because you know he's going to be, he's gonna be in, the, in position. He's not going to go out there and like try and rush up ice and get caught you know, like like a Gosses Gosses Bear would go up there, and he's gonna he's gonna give you great effort and might score a goal. You know, in overtime, three on three, because of how skilled he is. But if he doesn't, maybe he gets caught up ice. Now you got Voracek back by himself, two on one coming the other way. You know, whatever. In this instance, the forwards are gonna be the ones trying to drive the play, and Haig will be back there. And it's not a bad notion. I mean, look, he's only gonna get what a shift, maybe two at most in a, in five minutes. Um, it, it's not the worst thing in the world to trot out a defensive-minded defenseman in a three-on-three. So um, defense has been great. Uh, Russ, we're going to head to break. Yes, we are. But we're not going to listen to our normal commercials, are we? Oh, no. So now let's throw it over to our interview that we did with Riley Cote prior to the Flyers' home opener. Welcome into Snow the Goalie. We have another special guest, Russ, as we often do here with the Flyers. Uh, joining us tonight is former Flyer, uh, player, and uh, assistant coach with the Phantoms, Riley Cote. Come down here for opening night. We're down in the press box tonight. Riles, thanks for joining us on the program. We really appreciate you coming on. Yeah, no problem. Thanks for having me. Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. So the first thing I want to do, there's a lot we want to talk to you about. I know there's a lot that you're promoting as well with uh, with your new venture and stuff. But the first thing I want to talk about, I mean, it's opening night. It's a big night for hockey here in Philadelphia. Um, what is it, you, you know, what was it like as a player? I know that they already played a game in Europe, but, you know, the, the first game of the season in front of the home fans, what is it like for these guys going into the game tonight? Yeah, it's a you know it's a feeling you really can't describe. It's really high energy, you know. I mean, all the hard work they put into the off season. I know they played the one game, but coming home and having that home opener and the building's going to be on fire. It's uh, it's an energy you really can't describe. So I'm sure I'm sure there's uh, you know some nervousness with especially the, young, the younger guys there. But um, nonetheless, it's going to be high energy for sure. You've coached a lot of these guys. Yeah. With the fans. I mean, you go back and look over the seven years that you were there. And I can't believe that you haven't played. It's been that long yeah. since you've been out of the <laughs> I league. Like I, it's crazy. I, I'm just getting old. That's the problem. But um, you coached a lot of these guys. Uh, did you kind of have a sense 
you know, now that you look at them, you know, now that you're away from the team a little bit, did you kind of have a sense that these guys were going to get to where they got to and, and do they have still a little bit even more room to, to kind of grow? Absolutely. You know, there's a, there's a few guys here that I've coached uh, and, and worked with really closely, Robert Hag being one of them that I probably worked with the longest and, uh, you know, a guy I always rooted for because he, he poured so much into it and I think he was a guy that had to really change his game and evolve with the game and, and put his you know, ego aside and just do the you know, simple things and it's, it's been nice to watch him grow. Um, you know, guys like Travis Sanheim, I had him for a year, but you know, a first round pick that you expect him to, you know, to move on and be big, but I mean, I think he's got so much more room to grow. Um, and then some of these younger guys that are cracking the lineup, I mean, I work with lots, but you know, he's been in, in the system for a while, but uh, Oscar Lindblom. Um, you know, you see this guy come out of, uh, you know, the Swedish league, I believe, yeah, when, when we had him there. And, you know, he's a pro. He was a pro when we got him and just strong and, and just an NHL player. So, uh, again, I think this year, this season is going to be really interesting to see how these younger guys step in and step up their game and, uh, you know, help the Flyers move along to the playoffs. Yep. What's the kind of thing that you would uh, that you would recommend to a younger player who might have had aspirations to make the roster? Like Joel Farabee's probably the guy that people thought were the closest to making it. Morgan Frost looked like he was in contention to have a spot prior, Even to, Phil Myers. prior to his injury. Phil Myers, who had played with the with the big team before, so I put him on the side a little bit. But like for a Farabee or a Frost, like what is it that you would say to them or somebody in their situation who had hoped to make the team, looked like there was a shot, and ultimately doesn't make the opening day roster? What, what is it that you tell them to work on in order to try to get that call up? I, you know, I think it's just you know, yeah, going down there with a good attitude and just keeping working on your game. I mean, it's, you know, all it is is the opening night roster. It really means nothing at the end of the day. We've seen that happen, you know, multiple times where the roster changes very quickly. So, you know, there's got high-skilled guys that, you know, you, you got to squeeze in the top six or, you know, be able to produce. You know, you're not going to put guys in a situation they're not going to be successful. And so you... You know, you, you dress a few bigger guys, a little bit more defined, you know, power forward type roles, if you want to call it that. Um, but again, it's uh, it's one of those things. It's all about consistency and performance. And if these guys don't perform and those guys do, it's not going to be too long before they're up. And we've seen that with, uh, you know, guys in the past. And I think one thing that a lot of fans who listen to this podcast don't really quite understand, the, the AHL, Riles, it's, it's a legit league, all right? I mean, I'm not, it's no joke down there. I mean, it's, it's pretty close to Absolutely. what you're seeing up here at this level. Yeah, well, that's exactly it. I mean, there's only 23 guys stick around on this roster, and the rest of the guys got to go down. And um, um, and there's some really high-end players in the American Hockey League, but there's such a fine line. And it's, you know, generally it's uh, in the coaches' comments are consistency, you know, maybe a little bit more strength on the puck for some of these guys. And, again, high-end guys, like they got they got to play in high-end roles to be successful. They're not going to, you know, you know, play limited minutes and be productive as, as they should be. So go down, get the minutes, get the reps in, have a good attitude, work on your game. And, uh, you know, a guy like Claude Drew, he played half a season in the minors. It's, it's, it's not a knock on anybody. It's just right. it's, it's, it's a development league. You go down, work on yourself, work on your game, and then uh, if you do things right, you're back up in no time. Do you think it's a mistake to have young players skip the AHL entirely? Because, you, as you just mentioned, like Claude Drew even had to play half a season in the AHL. Sure. You see guys who make that jump who might not be ready, and it's not to be you know, demeaning to them, but like a Nolan Patrick comes to mind as somebody who is young, somebody who might have benefited from a year playing in the AHL. Do you think that teams make a mistake by trying to rush somebody into a position just based on where they're drafted? I think so, and there's very few guys that could step in the NHL and be impact players. Sidney Crosby's, uh, you know, the Evgeny Malkins, there's a few first-round picks I can think of that, you know, come in, 
and a high-end guys that can be real, real dominant players. But uh, you know, you can hurt a guy also if you're if you put put him in a situation they're not successful. Versus you know, put him down in the minor leagues and it's maybe a little bit below their ego. But guess what? You're a big boy now, and and, and boohoo, um, tough it out. Um, um, guess what? You go down there, you rep it out, you, you dominate the game, and it's only going to help your career long term. You're never going to hurt a guy by sending him to the minors, but you can hurt a guy by rushing him. And you know, then you lose confidence, and it's hard to regain confidence when you're not in situations you can be successful. And uh, I've seen that happen. So to me, unless you're that, you know, Wayne Gretzky, Brooks, Sidney Crosby type caliber guy, Ovechkin, whatever you want, whoever you want to throw in that mix, um, there's, there's not many of them um, that can jump right in and be impact players, go down the minors, be successful, and come back up with confidence. So, well, I, I'm glad that you just ended on that word because that's a word that came up so much last year as this team perpetually just kept hitting the skids. It felt like they were never able to really get over the hump because they, there was a lack of confidence. I mean, there were guys, journeymen, like Dale Weiss, kept coming back to confidence. Vets on this team, like the Sean Gaturiers of the world that you know people look at as one of the, the cornerstones of the franchise, kept talking about confidence, confidence, confidence. Throughout your career, like what what's like the number one way that you can try to regain confidence? Is, is, there, <laughs> is there any kind, is there like a magic answer you know, to this it's, or is it's, it's it really all, just plugging it's all away? upstairs you know it's a, it's, a, it's a mindset confidence is just you know just, it's just constant repetitions and knowing you're good enough you know uh, i remember working with terry murray you know as, as a head coach and um there was a player in the office that was talking about confidence and what he did he wrote down the word confidence on a piece of on a piece of paper slid it over to him and said here you go because there's nothing you can do outside of yourself that's going to instill confidence, and that's that's up to the individual. It's uh, it's it, it's just you know maybe maybe going to bed earlier and waking up a little bit earlier and stretching, you know what I mean, and just getting in the zone a little bit more. Whatever it is, I mean, these guys are good enough. I mean, these guys train all summer long. These guys are pros. I mean, the confidence is there. It's just you know when it, you, you just got to get over your bad game or your bad shift, put a period on it, and then and, and move on. I, mean, I think that's where guys get down on themselves. They have a bad game and then they're the dumps. It's just like. Put a period on it. It's like, you know, you're only as good as your last fight, you know? Get over it, get back to the rink, work, and uh, and show up to the rink. I mean, I don't know any other way to get confidence besides believing in yourself. I, I want to take you back, Riles, to talking about the AHL. Your first AHL season was the year of the lockout, which was arguably the greatest AHL season that ever existed because so many NHL-caliber players were playing in the, uh, in the AHL. And, of course, the Phantoms won the, the Calder Cup that year. Uh, what, was, what was that like for you, that first time being in the league and, and really being in the league? You know, you came in on a PTO, and I think you, I think you signed multiple PTOs that year, as a matter of fact, um, and, and then and, and really kind of trying to make a name for yourself when the league was at its very, very best. Yeah, that was uh, our, my, the best, uh, best hockey season of my career, uh, for sure. I started off in the Central Hockey League, uh, Ron Hexel called me up. The, the Phantoms were on a road trip. I think this game two of the season. Met the team in Hartford. Uh, signed a PTO. Lined up signing, you know, four PTOs throughout that season and winning a championship. But uh, the, the team itself, from you know John Stevens throughout the whole team to the goaltending, uh, uh, just an unbelievable group of guys. The energy was high. Guys got got along unbelievably. Just the, you know what you'd think of the epitome of the energy on a team. Um, and then they allowed to land up and you know winning the Calder Cup just uh, it was icing on the cake. But for me, it was overall one of the best experiences of my life. And they, you know that team was just uh, is it's, it's hard to recreate a team like that. You know, I always wanted to write a book about that team. Yeah. And I mean, in all honesty, I mean, I, I had the luxury of being I think the only beat writer in the history of the American Hockey League to travel to every game that year. It was 104 games that you guys played or whatever it was. Yep. Um, and and there was exactly what you just said. Like you saw it. 
from the right from the jump. I mean, you guys had that 17-game unbeaten streak at the right. beginning of the season, and even when you had a little bit of turmoil in the in the middle of the year, you guys rebounded from that and played great at the end of the year and got going in the playoffs. And, and you, there was never a doubt yeah. with that team. Like you, you knew when you were around that team that you guys were going to win. And you, I'm sure you guys felt that way too. Uh, absolutely, and uh, it was interesting about that team is a lot of those guys never played in the NHL yet. I mean, there was a couple guys, you know, I think Joni picking in, maybe Seidenberg, maybe Patrick Sharp had a couple games. There was a lot yeah. of guys that never really. Fridge. Yeah, Fridgey. Yeah, Fridgey. Yeah. Um, you know, your, your Carts and Richie come out, but, uh, you know, Randy Jones, Freddie Myers, a few guys there, you know, Ben Eager, Josh Gratt, and myself. There's a lot of guys, guys that never played, yeah, never played a game before that season. But, the, you know, what really struck me to be interesting in that season was that we didn't have a guy in the top 20 scoring. We, we scored by committee, and you know, if, if one guy wasn't scoring, and the other, the other line was scoring, the third line, the fourth line had some goals, you know. So it was a, it was it was really nice to see a balanced team like that where we didn't rely just on one or two guys, you know, to carry the weight. And that's you know that's what good teams do is just you know it's collective, you know, cl collective scoring and, and chipping in when when the time needs to be and uh, and winning as a team. And, and you guys you guys had a few guys who would play some old time hockey too. Absolutely, we were, too, yeah, we were we, we, we had a real tough team. I mean, that was it too. Yeah, we had. Well, Fridgey got hurt, but between you know, Gratz, myself, uh, you know, Ben Eager, I think Wade Skolny, Jeff uh, Smith, Jeff Smith. I mean, <laughs> we had some we had some legit dudes for sure, yeah. and it was it was fun because we could we could play hockey and uh, we, we, we could be tough when it was needed. That's I, wanted, I wanted to get to a, a question that we we got from Twitter uh, from Sean Moore who asked, uh, curious about your thoughts on analytics people versus the hockey man point of view. There are numbers, call them advanced stats if yeah. you wish, that show that. Uh, not a single NHL coach ices the optimal lineup. Uh, every fan base has gripes with their coach's choices. You know, this is my biggest beef with analytics. Is like the, you can never, you can never replicate the eye test, the energy. It's something you can't quantify. And I, I struggled with this when we, when I was coaching. It was like you could break down this game into a million parts. But to understand the game's flow and energy and you know dynamics, uh, um, you, you have to lean on that more than you do the analytics because you're seeing these guys on a day-to-day -day basis. You're seeing their energy. You're seeing how, how they're dealing with uh, adversity and things that analytics don't show. I mean, I remember like you looking at these analytics and how many times we you know we we chip the puck in at the in the offensive blue line versus making a play at the blue line. Well, it's great in theory. Everyone's trying to make a play on uh, at the offensive zone. But sometimes a pressure play forces a chip, and that's a good hockey play. And that's the things that you know analytics don't quantify. It's just good decision making. Um, a lot of the time, it's just like breaking down the game in, in, in some of its parts. So for me, energy, the eye test, you can never you can never replace it. And I think the guys that go to analytics don't understand the energy behind the hockey game. And, and not only that, analytics can't measure what's going on in a guy's life, right? That's it. How they feel. That's it, emotion yeah. and energy. We see a guy go out on the ice. Now, hockey players will play injured, I and mean, we know this, right? But we don't know how injured they are or how they're trying to, and that can skew the numbers, right? I mean, th that there's so much more to a hockey player than just his, his statistics. That's it. There's so many variables, especially in a, in a read and react hockey game versus, you know, um, you know, baseball and maybe even football, but, you know, some sports really, I, I can see how analytics can be a huge part of the game and don't get me wrong there's some analytics that we, I, I would look at every single game you know there's you know scoring chances scoring chances in and around the house you know um, you know grade A's versus B stuff like that that's you know showing that you're going to the hard areas but like some of these 
you know, some of these uh, these uh, analytics, like, you know, how many times we broke the puck out on our, our forehand side as defensemen is like, okay, it's just like, these guys got to make decisions too. You don't want to make, you don't want to create robots. It's a read and react sport. And yes, you have a system you're trying to work with, but sometimes you just got to make the good decision and, and make the right play. Uh, the, one of the reasons I wanted to ask you about that and kind of throw that part in about, you know, what's going on with a guy and, and how they're feeling uh, or how they're doing is because you have a new venture now. Yes. And I, I know you started Hemp Heels a few years back, um, uh, but now you've, you, you've teamed up with uh, a couple of former, well, uh, uh, a former Eagle, Todd Harriman's, yep. um, and uh, former NHL tough guy, Scotty Parker, right? Yep. Uh, and you created Body Check Wellness. Yep. Um, uh, we was talking about a new way to kind of recover, have your body kind of recover. Why don't you tell us a little bit about that and, 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 you know, and what goes into it and why you guys kind of teamed up to make this happen? Sure. Well, what I learned when I was uh, when I was playing is like even though I was so focused on training and, and working hard, I wasn't uh, I wasn't living sustainably. You know, the things I was doing, um, you know, for recovery, you know, weren't, weren't sustainable, and the way I was treating my body wasn't sustainable. And what I learned within the sports world is that a lot of the the ways guy, you know, the way they treat guys and the way the guys are supposed to recover isn't sustainable in the, in the sense that it's, you know, pharmaceutical drugs for sleep and anti-inflammatories and all these, you know, destructive substances that essentially, you know, lead to substance abuse or just, uh, you know, uh, uh, a, a lesser performance at, at the end of the day. So um, Body Check Wellness is a hemp-derived CBD company, which is, uh, you know, CBD derived from industrial hemp. Um, high anti-inflammatory, we're all battling inflammation. Athletes obviously really put their bodies on the line. Um, helps with pain, pain and inflammation come, you know, come hand in hand. Uh, manage anxiety, stress, which, you know, whether you're, you know, working a nine to five or you're an athlete, um, you know, we gotta manage our anxiety stressors and, and promote sleep. Sleep is the spine of the recovery process. So we wanted to put together an organic, organically grown hemp-derived CBD product that could help not just the con, you know the, the, the athlete, but the, the common man. And, and we're all battling the same things. Just some guys are putting a little bit more you know wear and tear on their bodies and just need just you know higher amounts of these types of products. But you know sustainable, all natural, organic versus you know, unsustainable, um, you know toxic and, and, and essentially destructive. Well, it's it, it's kind of a. I don't want to say it's a dirty little secret, but it, I mean, it, it's kind of a thing that, you know, all you talk about the pharmaceuticals. I mean, th there is a lot of addiction in professional sports. Yep. And now, I'm not just talking hockey. I'm talking all professional yep. sports by athletes to these pharmaceutical drugs yep. because they want to get back and want to play as quickly as they can because you have jobs on the line, right? Yep. I mean, I mean this, is your, this is your career we're talking Absolutely. about. Absolutely. So this is what you're basically telling people is, Look, there is an alternative yep. to what you're doing that will work just as well, if not better, and and you don't end up with that addiction that's a, that's so dangerous. Yeah, you, you said it. You know, I think traditionally it's it's led to a lot of substance abuse, and there hasn't been an alternative because the alternative has been outlawed. You know, now the you know the, you know the laws are changing. Uh, the 2018 Farm Bill came into effect. And uh, legalize the sale and cultivation of, uh, of of hemp and hemp-derived CBD products. Therefore, allowing athletes to use uh, high anti-inflammatory, uh, all-natural, organic product that mimics or replaces all these uh, pharmaceutical drugs that ultimately lead lead to you know substance abuse. Then you mix an alcohol into the equation; it, it, it's toxic, it's deadly. So, um, all I'm trying to do is just, uh, at the very least offer the alternative out there and you know guys are going to choose what they want but i think the cat's out of the bag and um, if you talk to most of these athletes they're very aware of these types of products and uh, uh and are leaning on them because it certainly helps
So I had uh, two questions for you. Uh, one is about one of your partners. He said we have to ask you why <laughs> you cut your hair. Todd Harriman said, hey, I got to ask Cote why he cut his hair. Oh, it was, uh, <laughs> I'm regretting it still, man. I'm still regretting it. It was one of those things I had to make, a, I, I had to make the evolution from playing to, to coaching and, and look more presentable and more professional. There's nothing more than that. If I had it my way, I would have I rocked the greasy long curls behind the bench. But, yeah, but, you're, but you're not a coach anymore. What do you think about bringing know, back? I know. Actually, it's funny you said that because actually two months ago, I told my, my, my older daughter, I'm growing my hair out. Daddy's growing his hair out. So I grew it out like an inch and it just like landed up getting in that real, started the real bad phase, which was probably going to be around for at least a year so I just said you know I just I just can't I just can't do this right now I'm speaking all the time and you know at these different events I'm like I can't show up with an afro and you know just half-ass hair so I, I line up cutting it and just kind of sticking with what I got going on that's awesome the other question I had for you was getting back a little bit before we started talking about your venture is the idea of especially it, it feels like the sports landscape is changing more to starting to while the analytics kind of dehumanize in a sense the sport there seems to be more of a trend with, with the way that front offices and coaching staffs try to employ getting to know the holistic athlete. For example, like the Philadelphia Union have this thing where when their players check in, they have to fill out a survey every morning to give their coaches an idea of where they're at mentally. Yeah. Did you sleep last night? Yeah. Is your newborn sleeping? Is there any reason that you're not playing at full capacity? Is that something that you think could ultimately maybe even be more important than any of the, the observations you make in practice to just have that holistic view of, of where a guy is at in that day going into that practice or that game. Absolutely. I think it's brilliant. I think uh, more and more teams and leagues are going to that this more mindfulness approach, right? I mean, it's like you're only as good as your, as your players and your individuals. And uh, like you said, I mean, there's all kinds of things going on in these guys' lives. If they're not sleeping well, it's going to impact performance. It's going to impact decision-making. And I think there's such an emphasis on, you know, the, the nutrition and the recovery. It's kind of, you know, again, why I got into this. Um, but, um, you know, uh, just, you know, the whole mindfulness. If, it, if, you can, if you can connect with your player, understand your player on a, on a much deeper level, he's going to perform for you better. There's no question. It's, it's long gone are the days where you don't talk to your coach and there's like this disconnect and you just show up and you just battle through and you just tough it out. Because you gotta, you gotta connect with your player. You gotta understand where he's coming from. So maybe he needs a day off. Maybe, maybe that extra day off will help him perform better on Friday night. You know, and I think that's that's what's changed. Even you know, I think it was it was changing when I was still playing. But when I was coaching, there was again we had mindfulness and uh, you know yoga and all these things that are really emphasized as though the importance of recovery. That if you're not recovering pro properly, and the same reason I got into this is like if you're not doing it right. I mean, I can speak for myself. Performance drops, and you land up retiring when you're 28. So, you know, you're we're trying, we're trying to extend your guys' careers and, and, and really increase performance indirectly in the sense of taking care of the things that you as an organization have an obligation to take care of, and that's the better well-being of your players, you know, and that's the bottom line. Yeah. Uh, you, you also mentioned that this isn't just for professional athletes. This, this could really benefit the common man. So your website is bodycheckwellness.com, and that's bodycheck, C-H-E-K, wellness.com. Um, and I know you guys have you know, uh, a lot of uh, items for sale there. What, what works for the common guy? Like, what, like the regular guy who just goes to the gym, you know, four days, three, four days a week. You know, how does this benefit that kind of person as opposed to, you know, the world-class athlete? I, I think they're all, it's all the same, ultimately. At the end of the day... Uh, whether you're working a nine to five or you're playing a sport, it's it's all we're always co uh, combating inflammation. We're always trying to manage pain. We're always trying to you know keep that in check. 
balance, right? Bring back the balance. And then we're always, we're always trying to manage um, our anxieties and stressors. And we can do that with other tools like meditation and yoga and, and diet, and which all these, you know, these guys, high-end guys do. But you know, the common man can do those as well. You know, it's nothing. This is nothing more than a tool in the toolbox. But promoting, um, you know, that 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 rest, relaxation, and, and recovery. You know, calming the nervous system, um, just putting yourself and your mind into a, a good space, and and ultimately, whether it's in the here and now during the day, adding that element of focus and clarity. But in the evening, when you when you need the rest, your mind's not wandering. You're not you're not all over the place, and you're able to calm your mind enough to sleep. And that's important. Whether you're, you know, again, working the nine to five or you're a high end athlete, it's all the same. We all have to recover. We all have to repair. We all have to wake up in the morning and perform. We have a, another question from over on Twitter from at uh, Philly Sport Fan who says, uh, wants to know why you think, if, if you think, uh, the Flyers have had such a hard time developing uh, an identity on ice in the post fighting NHL. It's something that Elliot Friedman brought up recently. Wanted to know if you're. If you're in agreement with that as a former enforcer, like what, what are your thoughts on on the Flyers in well, this post-fighting era? I think it's magnified in Philly because of the you know the Broad Street bullies, and they've always notoriously been known to be a tough team and 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 the toughest team and have the toughest guys. So I think once that's evolved out of the game, it's uh, you know, you, I don't know what type of identity you know teams really have now. It's like a hardworking team, a skilled team. I mean, you have to be both of those things. You know what I mean? So I mean, to be a playoff team. I mean, your identity really does. I mean, it's it's, it's got to be hardworking. You know, the game, the name of the game is now is, is a high skill. I mean, so if you're not either of those, I'm not sure where you'd fit in. So it's um, they haven't been a you know a, a Stanley Cup competitor the last how many years? So they, they get lost in the mix. And if they're not you know fighting every night and banging, uh, you know they don't they don't they don't hit the highlight reels. They're not you know they're not getting the press they you know that they they, they probably want. But um, you know the game is speed. It's 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 skill. It's and you and, and you cannot win without hard work. And you look at you know the St. Louis Blues. It's like they, you know they play they still played a brand of hockey that's still physical. You can still do all those things and be physical, but be physical. But you know long gone are the days where you, you know you, you you're scrapping to generate momentum and you're you know you're carrying a heavy weight to you know to, to push people around. So you know you, you just gotta score goals you gotta be good consistently and, and you know you gotta bring it every night so I don't know if that answers the question but it's uh, it's not that complicated well, well you brought up the St. Louis Blues this is the last question I have for you Riles how much of that last year do you think was chief how much of that was was Baruby kind of instilling the right mentality because I, we know how good of a coach I think is, it's right? I think it's I say all chief I mean chief is amazing you know I, I i can't say anything bad about the guy I, I love his philosophy i love how true he stays to the game and to your point of the analytics he's a guy who essentially crumple up those papers and throw them out the door you know because he knows he knows what he sees he knows energy he knows guys demeanors he knows uh the, the intangibles that you know you just can't quantify so a guy like chief He's a perfect example of a you know, modern-day coach that hasn't sold out to this, you know, this all-analytics game where he still challenges his team to be physical, still challenges his team to show up every day. But he's honest. You know, he's honest. He's smart enough with recovery. He's not going to be you know, old school where he's pushing guys across that line. Um, and, he, and he earns and demands respect. And I heard, talked to Nasty, Derek Settlemeyer, equipment manager of the Flyers, when they won the Stanley Cup, not one guy in that locker room, guys that didn't play, but through through the regular season or the playoffs, had a bad thing to say about him. They all loved him. So I mean, that's just a you know just a, a, a testament to his character. And then back to the analytics one more time is he 
he'll he will play the guys that show up every single day of practice, bring the energy. You know, he's not going to you know sh shave up the, the analytics and play guys for you know decision making because he, all he, all his philosophy is if you make a mistake, mistakes are going to happen. Make up for them by effort. And you know, guys can buy into that. You don't make you don't you don't create robots. You create instinctive hockey players, and that's what the game still needs. And how did that work? <laughs> That's it. It's That's pretty, right. It's, it it's worked, pretty right? simple. Pretty simple. Now, I have, I have one last question, and I don't want to influence you in any way. You're sitting down one night. You're watching. You're going on Netflix. You're going wherever. You have to pick one hockey movie to watch. Oh, What's the hockey movie you enjoy watching the most? Oh man, that's a tough one. I, I was gonna go with the classic slap shot. I mean, oh, thanks, Riles. Thank you. Oh. I don't think I don't think it gets old. As as crappy as some of the editing is, it's uh, it's just so like it just it's just so old school hockey, and like some of the the lines in it are just like you know why so, he's asking this question. This was why. my one. This is my one shot for somebody to agree with me about a movie. What, he uh, likes goon. Goon. I was actually thinking about Goon, and I, I, I just think there's something like even more traditional about Slapshot. It's, it's more real. It's more, it's more, yeah, it's more real. Yeah, yes. it is more real. Isn't it? You know, it's <laughs> having a figure skater hop on the ice and <laughs> and punch guys out. You know, it's it's a funny movie. I love the movie, uh, but I just think Slapshot was just a little bit more legit as far as the way things were were really dealt with back in the day. Well, thank All you. Right. That's Riley Cote. Check out bodycheckwellness.com. That's bodycheck, C-H-E-K, wellness.com. And, uh, you know, hey, it's it's a great thing. It's, it's a great uh, alternative. And, and it's really going to become mainstream. I, I think I think that you're on the right path with this. I mean, it's, it's really starting. It was something you started years ago. Oh, uh, yeah. And, and now it's like here we are like eight years later. And it's it's kind of like a regular thing now. It, it is. Yeah, and there, there's still a lot of work to be done. I yeah. think everyone kind of knows the buzzword of CBD, uh, but, you know, most people don't really have a clue what it is and what it really can do if it's used properly and if it's properly sourced. So right. there's a lot of snake oil out there. You know, I say always buyers beware because if you're buying your CBD at a gas station, don't expect a whole lot of, you know, a whole lot of nothing. But right. uh, it's uh, it's one of those things. Uh, it's come a long way since I started this back in 2011. And um, uh, it's only it's, it's only going to grow. We know this is the low-hanging fruit. We haven't even touched on the you know, industrial applications of hemp and what it can really do for public health, but uh, you know, cat's out of the bag. I think most people are aware that it's on the map now. That's awesome. That's Riley Cote here on the Snow the Goalie podcast. Thanks again, Riles. We really do appreciate your time. Thanks for having me. And we are back on Snow the Goalie Radio. That was uh, Riley Cote, who Russ and I got a chance to talk with down at the Flyers home opener last week. Uh, you can hear that entire interview uh, if you download the Snow the Goalie podcast, which will be available later tonight, maybe tomorrow morning, um, on all of the uh, – anywhere you get your your uh, podcasts. Apple Podcasts, Apple podcasts Spotify, Spotify, Stitcher, yeah. yep. Google Play. I yeah. think by now you would have that memorized after all the times I shamelessly plug it. <laughs> I usually let you do it, but uh, for now, I want to jump to the, the phone line because uh, joining us um, from the AHL report uh, is Amy Johnson. Amy, how are you? I'm doing well, guys. Thanks so much for having me today. I'm, I'm happy to be here. Oh, that's awesome. Amy covers uh, Lehigh Valley Phantoms and the Laval Rocket. 
the Montreal, yes. the Montreal Canadiens. Um, Consider me the peace bridge between Flyers and Habs fans. Ah, <laughs> very nice, very nice. Although peace bridge, although peace bridge is up near Buffalo, right? I mean, if you want to go, well, up, that's true. That's true. That's I, true. There, there is something that goes over into Quebec. I'm not sure what what that one's called over there, right? But uh, uh, anyway, um, but thanks for joining us. Uh, you know, the Phantoms got off to a, a decent start, right? Three games in, one, one, one. Um, they did. Uh, but I think everybody is, you know, most excited uh, about, you know, want to know about Joel Farabee. I know he scored in his first game, scored again in his second game. He's got two goals. Looks like he's probably a little bit too good for the AHL and probably <laughs> will get up into the NHL pretty soon. But what was it like to, to see him in his in his first couple games? My goodness. Uh, well, Joel Farabee, just like fans got to see during training camp with the Flyers, was was hungry to score a goal. Uh, all during the preseason, you could see it, and he seemed to be snake bitten. He was doing everything that he could on the ice, but just couldn't find the finish to get it in the back of the net. And uh, in his first game with Lehigh Valley, which was, of course, their second game since he was over in Europe uh, for their home opener, um, he took a really nice uh, assist from Phil Myers. Uh, just went, you know, went down the ice. In fact, Coach Scott Gordon thought that he was just going to kind of get a shot off kind of innocently and not really do anything with it, but deeks around his defender, gets the goaltender down, and and just puts it right in the back of the net. Just a gorgeous, gorgeous goal. Huge celebration. You could just see the, the monkey kind of come off the back for Joel Farabee, and uh, the place went nuts. PPL Center in Allentown, the, the fans were, were thrilled to get to see him score his first pro goal in his first game played. So, uh Pretty exciting uh, for him there, and of course, in in his second game, uh, got a nice feed from Kyle Criscolo. Went top shelf again. Two games, two goals. Uh, it's kind of the Joel Farabee show uh, <laughs> right now for uh, for the Lehigh Valley Phantoms. He's he's obviously put in the work, and and now that he's gotten one over the over the goal line, uh, they seem to be coming a little easier now. Well, it's it's and it's a good thing too because you know he was very emotional when he didn't make the team. Um, mm-hmm. and, and, you know, when you're a young kid at that level and, you, and you know, you feel like you're going to make it to the NHL and then all of a sudden you're told you're going to go down to the A, like, you know, that could go one of two ways. It could go the way it's gone through his first two games, which is fantastic and that's good news. But, I'm, I'm you know, you've seen it, I've seen it, Amy, that guys go down to the minors and, and they kind of sulk and it takes a while and maybe sometimes they don't even get, get another chance, right? I mean, they, they do. Yeah, and it, it could be bad. So this is, this is the, you know, couldn't ask for a better start for this guy. Not at all. And, you know, you're right. It's 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 an emotional side of the business of hockey is is the you know, there's always the highs that everybody talks about and getting the call ups. But there's the opposite of that. And that's getting cut or getting sent down. Um, And Farabee admitted that it was it was really difficult when we spoke to him Friday night after after that first goal, after his first game. um, He was still a little um, I I don't know what the word is, but he, he he wasn't quite as elated as you would have thought he would would be you could you can tell he's still trying to get his head wrapped around uh, focusing on just playing well in the AHL to earn that call up again in fact I asked him in the postgame scrum you know what do you rely on to get you through adversity like this whether it's uh, supporting your personal life or your your routine or teammates and whatnot and he he spoke very highly of um phil myers and said you know since we both got cut late and we were together in europe they kind of talked things out with each other a lot and were there for each other a lot um 
and uh, you can tell he's still struggling with it a bit, but but I think as the goals come, that'll that'll get a little easier. Well, you mentioned Phil Myers, so let's talk about him because the, he's a young man who I think most of the Flyers, Twitterverse at least, believed should have made this team over even a, a Sam Moran or a Robert Haig. Yeah. How has Phil Myers looked with the Phantoms thus far? Is it a case of a guy so I mean, I, I think I know the answer is, but like, has he looked like a guy who has sulked and has had a, a rough time transitioning, or does he look like the guy that we all believe he is and has kind of torn it up? Oh, he's 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 ready to come back to Philly. <laughs> <laughs> uh, he Phil has also played two games. He's got two assists. He's got that the assist that set up the Farabee goal, but then he, uh, in the second game he had a a really nice uh, assist on Maxime Sushko's first pro goal. Um, so he's he's doing the same thing. He's got points in back-to-back games. Uh, he admitted we also spoke with him uh, after his first game uh, that same night we talked to Joel Farabee, and his, quote, his word was, quote-unquote, that he was heartbroken uh, when he got cut. You could tell he and, – and more so than Farabee, you can tell that it's – that. Uh, Myers is still really dealing with the emotion of it. There was a point in the interview that I thought that he was going to get choked up. Um, so you can tell he's still really trying to to process that um, and that he fully expected um, that he felt that he had done everything that he possibly could to make the team. So I think it caught him off guard to get cut. But with that being said, um, he he's looked incredible for those first two games, uh, kind of man among boys, kind of sort of like you saw, uh, you know, even during preseason sometimes or when he when he's played in rookie games in the past and things where he he looks head and shoulders with a more mature game a more physical style and just has that NHL look on AHL ice so i he may be dealing with the emotional side of things but he is he that's on the ice it's translating into i'm doing everything i can to get back in that lineup up top so one of the guys that i think had impressed at least early in camp and i think fans thought might have had a, a decent shot of making the team at least early on in camp was Herman Rubsov. Mm-hmm. What have you seen from him? And does he look like a, a guy who's also trying to make his case on trying to get a call up with this team? German Rupsov has been my favorite player for the Phantoms in the three games that they've played. <laughs> uh, he is currently leading the team in points right now. Three games played, three assists. Um, in fact, in the Phantoms' home opener, they got shut out for their home opener to start the season, uh, which wasn't exactly the, the way they wanted to kick things off. But it wasn't for a lack of trying. Um, they, they played an excellent game at home against the Providence Bruins. It was just that they couldn't solve the Providence goaltender. But in that game, German Rupsov was the most noticeable guy on the ice for all the right reasons. I mean, he had at least three, three solid high-danger uh, shorthanded scoring attempts uh, that could have easily gone in was showing off his some some silky mitts and some good hands, uh, you know, on on zone entries, uh, driving the net in all the right places at all the right times. He shoot, he's not afraid to pull a trigger. Um, you know, he he shoots when he has the puck, but he also seems to to see the play develop really well. He gets to where the puck is going to be. Um, I think that it. I don't think that uh, Vigneault and, and the guys up in Philly are going to be able to uh, ignore him for too long. Obviously, uh, you know, there's always <laughs> there's always the room in the lineup issue. But I I think that he's 
he's going to get a he's going to get a call sooner rather than later. I think. Uh, two more guys we want to ask you about, Amy, before we got to ra- let you go. Um, one I think that's positive, and one that maybe not so not such a positive start. Uh, Isaac Ratcliffe got has gotten off to a pretty good start for uh, for the Phantoms as well. He has. He's uh, one goal, one assist in his three games played. Um, his first goal of the year was a uh, just a, a tap in uh, for a loose puck that was that was in the crease. But nonetheless, he's he's on the score sheet already. Um, and then uh, for his assist, he he teed up Curtis Gabriel's uh, first goal of the season for for Lehigh Valley, and it was a really nice pick the pocket of a of a defender and and managed to keep the puck in the zone and dished it off to Gabriel. Uh, just a solid solid assist there. Um, Ratcliffe looks like he's he's going to need a little time, I think, in the AHL just to play some big minutes and and really shore up his game against against other big guys who have a lot of experience. But so far, so good. I, I think he's been pretty impressive so far. And finally, this is the one that I think might be uh, uh, a little, slightly disappointing. Again, it's three games. You can't you know make uh, make a mountain out of a molehill. But it looks as if uh, Morgan Frost has not uh, had as great a start as, as maybe some would have hoped. Particularly on the score sheet, he's he's the only one of these five youngsters who does not have a point yet. Um, he's played in all three games. That's not for lack of trying. He's had a lot of chances. They're just not going in. Uh, we spoke to him on Friday night as well, and he said, you know, he's really just kind of at this point trying to stick to his game, trying not to overcompensate, trying not to do too much uh, and force it. Um, I think with the recurring injury for him during training camp where he was in and out of the lineup and, and not sure and kind of saw that opportunity to, to make the team uh, out of camp slip away. I think there's probably a little bit of a confidence issue there, um, but he seems to have a positive attitude right now. Um, I think it'll come. I think he just needs to, you know, maybe loosen up the grip on the stick a little bit and, and, and play his game like he says he's trying to do. Um, so not on the score sheet yet, but I think it'll come. I think he just needs some time. That's Amy Johnson from uh, the, a- the AHL Report, part of uh, uh, Rocket Sports. Uh, you can follow her on Twitter, at Flyers Rule, which is a great Twitter handle. They the sure do. <laughs> it's a tremendous Twitter handle. That's great. I mean, how, does, how, do you, you know, how do you get that one first? I mean, I guess that's, a, that's like a fan thing, right? That's back before you were actually uh, yeah. writing, right, and, do, and doing the one reporting. Of the, one, of, one of the early Twitter folks. I've been on Twitter for 10 years, so right. uh, I joined Twitter as, as a hockey fan, and so I managed to snag that handle. And so even though uh, being part of uh, credentialed hockey media now for the last – five or six years uh, would dictate I would typically change that to reflect the outlet that I work for, <laughs> Rocket Sports Media. I'm not let I can't let go of that handle. So uh, <laughs> or should you? If you do, you've got to do it for yeah, you got to sell significant capital. You got to sell that if if, if you right. better, if, <laughs> yeah, if it's going to cost somebody some, a pretty penny <laughs> if they want that. That's handle. right. Absolutely, absolutely. Well, Amy, thanks a lot. We'll love to have you on periodically during the season. Just check in on the young guys, see how they're doing, and uh, we appreciate uh, appreciate you coming on and keep up the great work. Absolutely. I appreciate it so much. You can find us at the AHL Report, and we also have a Flyers and Phantoms dedicated account at the Flyers Report, so uh, check that out as well. We'll have all of that prospect coverage there. Awesome. Thanks again, Amy. Thanks, guys. Have a great show. You too. Yeah, she's great. Yeah. She's awesome. It's good to have, you know, people down there in the covering those minor league folks, so we know what what the heck's going on, because, you know, we're we're at the NHL games. We don't have an opportunity to really – 
you know, watch the Phantoms play. So, you know, we can look at stats and we can say, oh, yeah, it looks like so-and-so is playing good, but you don't know unless you actually talk to someone who's there all the time. It's kind of like the Cote argument, right? The eye test versus what the stats tell you. Right, exactly. Um, Exactly. You know, you mentioned being at the games. And, of course, what better time to shamelessly plug the Press Row Show than right now? Don't forget that at every Flyers home game. Press Row Show. Yeah. Press Row Show. Do I, like, put on a voice for this? At every... At every Flyers home game. I think Ryan via, should get us some music for this. He should. <laughs> what do we pay this guy for? <laughs> we. What do we pay? Um, the Press Row Show, every Flyers home game, live from Press Row at Wells Fargo Center. It is not a gimmick. It's legit. We had our seats moved, actually, right by the uh, the opening where all the writers and all of the TV people typically tend to walk by or walk through. So there have been some cameos already. We get Flyers fans tweeting at us about how happy they are to see some of their favorites. Uh, you can find that on the Crossing Broad Facebook page, facebook.com slash Crossing Broad. You can find it over on Twitter, at Crossing Broad. You can find it on Anthony's Twitter account, at Ant San Philly. On my uh, Twitter account, at Joy on Broad. And I believe we also were streaming the last uh, time on Twitch. And I believe that was uh, also over at Joy on Broad. So make sure uh, for the next Flyers home game, which will be on Saturday that you tune in to the Press Row Show. We do the pregame show, and then we do a first and second intermission report. Sometimes we'll pull on some of the other writers um, or any of the uh, the Flyers personnel that happen to be roaming around the press box. So I got three bits of Flyers news for you before we wrap this show up and head into the crossing broadcast, Russ. Go ahead. First one is you know, Flyers today placed uh, defenseman Andy Walensky on waivers for the purpose of having him report to the Lehigh Valley Phantoms. Uh, he likely will clear waivers and head down there. So when once that happens tomorrow at noon, the Flyers will officially be seven hundred and fifty thousand dollars under the cap, Woo-hoo! which means they could bring a play either. So one of two things, one of a couple things is going to happen. Would, this is going to be interesting to see what it is. They could either call up a player like a Farabee or a Phil Myers, uh, or they could finally sign Chris Stewart to an NHL contract at the minimum salary. Because um, he's still practicing with the team on a PTO. So that could happen as well. And then he becomes the extra forward. So it's going to be interesting to see which direction that they go in there, right? Um, Elaine Vigneault also announced the order of the goalies for uh, these next two games. And as expected, Brian Elliott will start against Calgary. Uh, and Carter Hart will be back in that against Edmonton. And I think that's just one of those situations where well, you just sit there and say, well, why wouldn't you play Carter Hart against the better team, who is Calgary, no doubt. Um, but it's more, you know, a lot of times when a guy played for a team before, a goalie has played for a team before, he usually gets to start against that team. That's kind of like an NHL thing. It's kind of like a traditional thing. So Brian Elliott played for Calgary previously. Um, I wouldn't be surprised if Brian Elliott also got a game against the St. Louis Blues later this year as well. Um, so you're going to see Brian Elliott play against the Flames Tomorrow night, and uh, Carter Hart will be back in Wednesday in Edmonton. And finally, Funko is releasing a gritty figure on Pop. Yes! So you can get your gritty Pop collection. So there you go. That's That's your latest bit of Flyers news. That's excellent. Exciting. That's great work out of you. Yeah, thanks. That's what I'm here for. You know what? Once again, we had fun. We always know the goalie radio. We always do. We always do. 610 ESPN radio. Thanks to Ryan Lennox. Appreciate your work as our producer. And stay tuned for the debut of the Crossing Broadcast here on 610 ESPN radio.